Cameron, thank you. Everybody doing all right this morning? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Sure, thanks. Takes me a second to get set up here. Everybody here knows that I'm a total, I'm totally addicted to Coke, right? Uh, I, I would like to just confess that I've only had six Cokes this week. I'm getting, I'm a recovering Coke addict, and um, I found the secret to my recovery is, is a little something called, um, a little something called LaCroix, which is this lime-infused sparkling water. If you're a Cokehead, this, this, this is your way out, Okay. So you'll have to excuse me while I have a beverage. Because here's what I found out. I found out for me the addiction wasn't around the caffeine. It was around the burn. Andrea knows what I'm talking about. It's around the, I need the burn. First thing in the morning. I don't need orange juice. I need the burn. All right. Um, hope I didn't chase the Holy Spirit out with all that. Tell what, why don't you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, all right? We're going we're gonna to start a, a two-week mini-series called Called to the Impossible. We are called to the impossible. Before we get to um, Matthew chapter 14... I'd like to just kind of review a little bit and catch everyone up on where we're at as a church to begin the year. Um, started off a couple weeks ago just giving you guys what I felt like in my mind and in my heart um, was just a little prophetic direction for, uh, for the way the church was headed this year. Outlined three specific areas that I felt like we were headed in. And the first main area that I felt like the Lord is calling this church into, and if you're here this morning, if you feel like these purple chairs are your purple chairs, then this message is really for you. I felt like the Lord was calling this church to be the kind of place where we demonstrate this year. I felt like 2009 was a year of teaching. I felt like this year is going to be a year of demonstration. And the thing that comes along with demonstration is risk. You, you, you can't demonstrate the gospel. You cannot demonstrate the superiority of the gospel of the kingdom of God without adding considerable risk into your life. Everybody okay with that? Okay? It, it's a reality. You cannot, if you're a real disciple, you're, going to, you're not just going to be a person who has gospel message. See, here's the deal. Most of the church for the last 2,000 years has divorced gospel message from gospel demonstration. When you begin to move into gospel demonstration, and what I mean by gospel demonstration is proving, validating that Jesus is actually better, then you take on significant risk. That's what demonstration is about. See, demonstration is about validating. And what are we validating? We're validating our message. You know, here's the deal. There are a few people in the world, because God is gracious and God is good, there are a few people in the world who will, who will run to the gospel message. They'll hear the gospel message, a flame will ignite in their heart, and they'll run to the gospel message, okay? A few people. Most people will not run to the gospel message. You know what people run to? The gospel demonstration. Here's, here's the thing about gospel demonstration. The demonstration of the kingdom forces a decision. When the power of God breaks out in a group of people, or one-on-one, when you're having, when you're having lunch with, with your friend who is, who is outside of Jesus' watch and care, and you begin to demonstrate, 
by words of knowledge, by gifts of healing, by extraordinary love, by radical generosity, when you begin to demonstrate to that person that the, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is superior to every other kingdom, it forces a decision. Gospel message? Well, you're left with, you're left with how persuasive can a person be. Here's the problem with persuasion. Anything a person can be persuaded into, they can be persuaded out of. With me? And so this is a year of risk. Here's what I want to say to this church as well. This is a year of risk for everyone. This is not just a year of risk for the young people. See, here's the deal. This is a year for the middle-aged white guys who play golf on Saturdays and take their wives out to steak dinners on Saturday nights. This is, a dinner, this is a year for those dudes to take some risk. There's some of you dudes in the house. See, here's one of the things that I'm a little concerned about. I'm concerned that, that a few of us want to embrace demonstration and a few of us want to embrace risk for the purpose of demonstration. And I'm afraid that most of us are satisfied with a few embracing risk. Most of us, are, I'm afraid that most of us would be satisfied with being the kind of person who can go, man, Luke, he leads the people to the Lord. Awesome. He took risks. He's in China. He gave up his life. That's awesome. We've done it. You know? It's getting really quiet in here. I, I... See, here's the deal. This is, this is a year for everyone in this room to consider taking a risk. Here, here's the deal. My feeling is that most of us in the room already know the risk that the Lord is leading us into. It's that thing you think about. It's that person that keeps you up at night. The Lord's calling this this year for us to demonstrate and for us to, for us to risk. And since he's calling us to risk and since he's calling us to demonstrate... I want to review one more point. This is a year for us to encourage one another, okay? I can't, I can't explain to you how important watching over what comes out of our mouth concerning the people around us, especially our brothers and our sisters in this room, and making sure that what comes out of our mouth is blessing and not cursing, is encouragement and not discouragement, okay? Because here's the deal. Some of us in the room are going to risk, and it's going to be risky to the point that you're going to think, I don't know that I want to associate with that person anymore. And it's important that we watch over our heart and watch over our mouth and, 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 and not allow anything other than encouragement and blessing come out. The other reason is this. When you risk, it always doesn't go your way, and so you might fall. And you know what? You know what keeps people down? Discouragement and cursing that comes from other people around them. If your own community's not for you, then who's for you, right? So... And, when the Lord calls us to demonstration, he's calling us to risk. And by proxy, he's calling us to be a, a body of encouragement. To the extent that someone says, I want to lay my life down, take a risk on Jesus to, to show that the, the kingdom of heaven is superior to all other kingdoms, we need to be able to say, go for it. Even if I don't understand it, you go for it. Amen? Amen. 
All right, I want to read some scripture to you. But before we read this scripture, I want to remind you guys of something that's really important about reading the scriptures, especially the gospels. When we read the scripture, especially this one this morning, I want you to realize that when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's talking to us, okay? This is so important. Anytime you read the Bible, you need to be, when you're reading, especially the gospels, you need to be reading with the mindset that I'm the 13th disciple. Amen? All right, here we go. When Jesus had heard what had happened, what had happened was John the Baptist had lost his head. When he had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples answered, We have only here five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says to them, Bring them to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. I love that part. They all ate, and they were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's a good day, isn't it? Were you able to picture yourself in this scenario? I hope you were. A couple things. Thing number one. If you hang around Jesus, and by hang around, I mean if you are Jesus' disciple, then you will increasingly come into contact with the world. And by the world, I mean people. And when you come into contact with people, you will come into contact with their problems. I want to read that again to you, okay? A couple things. If you hang around Jesus, and what I mean by hanging around is if you, if you are Jesus' disciple, then you will increasingly come into contact with the world. And by the world, I mean people. And when you come into contact with people, you're going to come into contact with their problems. Can I tell you the context for demonstrating the kingdom of God? Problems. What was the context in the passage that we just read? We've been hanging out with Jesus and there ain't no food. Yeah, if you, if you are Jesus' disciple, you're going to come into increasing contact with the world, which means coming into increasing contact with people, which means coming into con- in increasing contact with problems. And so here's what we've got. We've got a spiritual barometer, okay? This is a spiritual barometer. And you need to ask yourself this morning, Am I coming into, is my life an ever-increasing circle of people and problems? Or am I becoming more and more isolated? Because if you are not coming into an increasing circle of people and problems, 
then I would like to suggest you're not really Jesus' disciple. That's just the hard way. That's, that's like a hard joke, you know. That's the hard way to say it. If you're not coming into increasing contact with the world, if you're not coming into increasing contact with the world's problems, then you're not really Jesus' disciple. Y'all see this? See, the disciples, they were hanging out with Jesus. John the Baptist is dead. And, and I love what the scripture says. It says that Jesus was trying to get away to a solitary place. Why was Jesus trying to get away to a solitary place? Because his cousin had died, and he was sad. Ministry was not on Jesus' agenda, but what was on Jesus' agenda? Ultimately, it's people and people's problems. There's something about being a true disciple of Jesus. You can, just run, the, you can run the spiritual barometer right now. Where am I at with Jesus? You'll know where you're at with Jesus, and it, it's, it's who you're with every single week and the problems he's causing you to come into contact with. And when the Lord causes you to come into contact with a problem, what he's saying is, I want you to be the solution to that problem. That's what he's saying. The other thing I would like to tell you about that is this, that there is no static position anywhere when it comes to being Jesus' disciple or coming into contact with the world, or not coming into contact with the world. You're either, you're either headed toward more contact with the world, or you're headed away from more contact with the world. There's not a hangout position anywhere. You're either increasingly becoming God's agent of solution for the world, or you're increasingly taking yourself out of partnership with Jesus. There's not a static position anywhere. See, here's the deal. The devil loves to isolate people. One of the great issues in today's world is loneliness. It's from the devil. He loves to, he loves to isolate someone. It's just, like, it's just like the wolves when they go hunting on the Discovery Channel. Who do they go and grab first? They, they get the sick one or the one who's gone away from the group. When you get away from the herd, you get picked off. Yeah. See, it's the same thing. There's something about the kingdom of heaven if you're really Jesus' disciple, we're coming into increasing awareness and contact with people and problems. Second thing. That was number one. Number two. Hanging around Jesus. And by hanging around, I mean if you're Jesus' disciple, it's dangerous. It is dangerous because Jesus is calling his disciples to do the impossible. It's another spiritual barometer. You can find, you can, you, this, is a, this, this is a litmus test right now for everyone in the room. Where am I at with Jesus? Well, let's look at it this way. What has God called me to do that when he initially called me to do it, I instantly thought in my head and in my heart, this is impossible. See, God calls all of his disciples to do the impossible. Jesus is trying to get off, hang out by himself. The crowds come. He has compassion on them. He heals them. The crowd grows. It's getting late at night. And the problem is there is no food. The disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you need to send these people away so they can go get some food. Jesus looks at them, and what does he tell them? You give them something to eat. They're thinking, 
Are you kidding me? Me? He says, you give them something to eat. See, God calls all of his true disciples to do the impossible. So it's another spiritual barometer. What has God called me to do that's impossible? Where are the impossible situations in my life? Those are where God is calling me. Discipleship, I'm going to say it a hundred ways so that hopefully somebody in the room can get it. Discipleship leads to impossible situations. See, and you thought, you thought getting saved was going to make your life easier. I, wrong. It's dangerous. Not only is it dangerous, it might even ruin your reputation. Jesus, Jesus never did anything wrong to anyone. He, he lived a perfectly sinless, spotless life. And he was still accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Why? Because he hung out with those people. Here's the deal. You hang out with Jesus, it might mar your reputation. It's dangerous. And if you're hanging out with Jesus and it's not bringing you into an greater encounter with the world and the world's problems, and if hanging out with Jesus isn't causing you to be the solution to the impossible problems around you in your home, in your neighborhood, at your school, and where you work, then you are not really a disciple. That's the hard word, isn't it? It's getting heavy up in here. See, you thought, you, see, here's the deal. We thought in the Western church that getting with Jesus was going to make our life easier. Here's what it's actually going to do. It's going to cause us to risk more. It's going to cause us to come to the place that says, am I really his? Do I really belong? And am I going to take the easy way out? Or am I going to lay my life down for people who don't have care about me so that I can be the solution to their problems? So here's the deal. When you met the Lord, you didn't get all your problems taken away. You actually got more added to you. That's a hard word, too. They're just coming out left and right this morning. See, Jesus is calling disciples to do the impossible. Anybody have an impossible task on their plate right now? Mm Yeah, you're going to get more. This year, you're going to get more. Everyone who didn't raise their hand, you're going to get your hand raised if you're listening to God at all. He's going to begin to speak to you, and he's going to begin to send you to impossible places and to impossible people and impossible situations so that, so that the message of the kingdom of God can be validated as superior to every other message. See, here's the deal. The impossible place is, is God loves the impossible place because it instantly validates that he is superior to all others, that his message is superior to all other messages, that his kingdom is superior to all other kingdoms. It validates that he is good, that his message is good, and that his kingdom is the best thing for you and everyone around you. Come on. Come on. Moving in the impossible realm. How do we move in the impossible? Well, the first thing I would like to suggest to you is that Jesus is the model. Okay? There is no other model. If you look to another model, you will only become disappointed at best and at worst deceived. Jesus is the model. He's the blueprint. You know, there's there's a way to do everything. 
He's the model. Verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately. If you're in your Bible, I want you to underline that word privately. He withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. I want you to underline that word solitary. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Underline that word privately and underline that word solitary. Because here's the deal. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. John the Baptist is Jesus' first cousin. They probably grew up together. Any of you guys grew up your first cousins? Yeah, I did, you know? And, and um, they probably grew up together. And I don't, know if you about, I don't know about you guys, but like my first cousins are my best friends and my worst enemies all at the same time, right? <laughs> Which, which really just is to say, you know them better than anyone, you know? And, um, and so John the Baptist is, is not just Jesus' cousin, but he's a prophet, okay? And so he's beheaded. Jesus finds out about it. And if your first cousin prophetic guy, friend, had just had his head cut off, how would you feel? You would feel terrible. And so Jesus is looking to get away. He's looking for a solitary moment. He's looking for, he's looking for a private place. And in doing so, he's taking his disciples and are going on a little camping trip. Problem is, there's people who are coming and, they, and they've heard about Jesus and they want to be healed and they need his touch. And so here's what happens. Uh, Jesus looks on them and he, ha- and he has compassion for them. And, um, and this is really remarkable for me because when, when John the Baptist gets beheaded, it's not just that Jesus loses a friend. It, it's in many ways, it's the foreshadowing of Jesus' own death. Okay, Because here's the deal. Prophets, they, they don't get treated well in Israel. A lot of times prophets end up dead. And so Jesus knows that if the forerunner to my ministry is dead, what's that say is coming on the edge for Jesus? It's the beginning of the end. It's, it's, it's not just that Jesus lost a friend. It's that prophetic foreshadowing that says, your time is coming as well, Jesus. He knew it, but it was that marker in the sand. And so, and so Jesus is troubled and he begins to take off. He says, all right, let's, you know, I've got just a little while, it seems like, and if they're coming after John, they're going to be coming after me. And so he takes his guys to go on a camping trip because he wants time with his guys and he probably wants time to grieve. Stop. Before we go on to the next real point, I want to make a sub-point here. This is one of the tremendous things about, about the Lord. It's one of the tremendous things about God. It's one of the tremendous things about Jesus. Is that in Jesus, we have a God who is not aloof and who is not unfamiliar with what it's like to experience pain and suffering on the earth. It's so good. Hebrews says, that, he, Hebrews says that, that he was tempted in every way like us, but without sin. And, and I want to tell you that, that there's something about God, and he knows, he knows what it's like to experience pain. If you're experiencing pain this morning, the good news is that there's been another person who's experienced pain, and he knows what it's like, and it's the Lord. That was a side note. But I want to get on to what I really want to talk about here. And it's Jesus' response. Look at verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. I want you to underline compassion. Jesus is wanting to get away. Crowds come. 
He sees them, he has compassion on them, and he heals their sick. What's the point? The point is this, compassion overrules depression. Compassion overrules depression every single time. You want to know how to begin moving in the impossible? The beginning step for moving in the impossible is to being a person who's filled with compassion for others. And so I want to, I want to define, I want to, I want to give a, a defined compassion here. Because, because in my own mind, it's obvious that Jesus is not, his agenda didn't include a healing and miracle service at the moment. But compassion broke out, and so a healing and miracle service broke out. And so in that sense, compassion is the soil for growing the impossible. You want to do the impossible? You won't do it unless there's compassion in there. How many of y'all have compassion for people? How many of y'all have been, have been weighed down in your heart and in your mind and in your prayers for Haiti over the last two weeks? See, there's, there's something about compassion that's the soil for the impossible. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're the kind of person who is easily moved by another person's troubles, if you're the kind of person who has lost some sleep because people in Haiti haven't been doing well, if you're the kind of person who wrote a generous check last week and our church took up a generous offering and mailed it to Haiti, if you're that kind of person, what I would like to tell you is that God is already working in your life, forming you into a disciple, tilling the soil and making you the kind of place that impossible can grow. See, it's all based on compassion. See, here's the deal. I asked you a few minutes ago, how many of you guys know the impossible thing that you're to do? And there was a few hands. I asked you just now, how many of you all, you know, are compassionate people and you've been bothered by Haiti? A lot more hands went up. What I want to tell you is that God's already moving in this church to bring about the impossible. And it starts with compassion. Compassion is a catalyst for the impossible. By definition, the classic definition of compassion is to mean it means just to suffer with. It means to suffer with. It, it, and, but I want to I give a kingdom context to that. The kingdom context to suffering with other people is this. It's suffering with other people until there's a breakout and there's a solution. See, humanism is just suffer with people. The kingdom says suffer with them until there's a breakout and there's a solution. I think that's an important distinction. Humanism is just, just get down in the barrel and suffer with people. Roll around. Get like them. Let them ruin your life. The kingdom, the kingdom is way different. It's get down there with them. Roll around. And then cause what's in you to get on them. Cause solution to break out. So here's what I want to, I want to talk to you guys. I want to redefine compassion a little bit based upon the context that Jesus has demonstrated for us here because Jesus is the model. Compassion means, at least within the context of what we just read, compassion means that other people's problems are more important than my agenda. Jesus' agenda was to go and have a camping trip with his disciples, have some private time, contemplate his life, deal with the pain of losing his cousin. But compassion is considering other people's problems 
More important, compassion will oftentimes cause you to consider other people's problems greater than your own agenda. Compassion will oftentimes cause you to be the kind of person who considers other people's problems greater than your own problems. Can I tell you one of the, one of the best ways to get out of your own problems? Stop working on your problems. Start working on someone else's problems. I know very few people who have, who have gotten over their depression by working on their depression. Some of you all know by experience what I'm talking about. I know very few people who have gotten over their depression by working on their depression. More times than not, a black hole of introspection opens up and you get sucked into that. And some people can go down for years before they ever come back out. How do you get over depression? You get over depression by replacing it with compassion and becoming a solution for someone else. Compassion says that my problems and my agenda can oftentimes be supplanted by someone else. You start moving into that kind of compassion and you just started moving into the impossible. Here's the other thing too. You want to write this one down because this one's pretty good. Compassion means being willing to embrace inconvenience. I can define it that way. Compassion means being willing to embrace inconvenience. Jesus is on a camping trip. We've got the boat packed. We've got the salted fish. We've got the beef jerky. We've got the fruit. We've got the water. We've got the tent. We're headed out. Dang it, people. See, there's something about breakthrough. Let me put it this way. Breakthrough is always behind the door of inconvenience. Every time. You want, to see, you want to see God do something remarkable? It will be inconvenient to you in the moment. You know why? Because people have bad timing. Like, like no one calls me and wants prayer for their sick body like, like on Sunday morning, like when I'm already here. No, it's like, it's like they're catching me at Walmart before I leave to go home to be with my family and take, put my feet up and watch some sports center. So here's the deal. Breakthrough is inconvenient. If you want to be a person who actually moves in the impossible, who sees kingdom breakthrough, who sees the, the, the deaf healed, the blind see, the lame walk, the demonized freed, and the lost come into knowing, if you want to be that kind of person, you're going to live an incredibly inconvenient life. You're going to have to get used to inconvenience. If that kind of thing drives you crazy, you're going to go nuts. Not only are you going to go nuts, but you won't see the impossible. See, here's the deal. Oftentimes, our, here's the, let me put it this way. Oftentimes, our 15-minute schedule keeps us from seeing someone saved, healed, or delivered. It's true. Number three, compassion realizes that I have abilities to do something about the situation. How many of you guys have ever been out driving and uh, you're getting off the interstate or you're pulling up to a four-way stop and then there's the, there's the guy at the side of the road begging? How many, of you, how many of you have ever done this? You see him, you know he's a beggar, you roll the window down, you get money out of your pocket and you put it in his bucket. Why? Because there's something about... 
There's something about when you know that you could potentially do something for someone else, it is incredibly hard not to do that thing, isn't it? And here's the deal. Imagine this. Jesus is, he's got out of the boat. He's getting ready to go up with his disciples. Sick people come. And imagine Jesus, he's walking and there's sick people and they're screaming out. And they're like, hey, help me. It's son of David. Don't pass me by. You know why Jesus couldn't pass them by? Because on the inside, Jesus knew that he really did have something for those people who were crying out after him. How many in the room, how many of, how many of you in the room can pass people by when you really do know that you are the solution for what they need? There, there's, something, there's, something about, there's something about knowing that you can be the solution for people and it, and it, and it, will, it, it focuses our, it sharpens our attention and it says, your heart won't let you go from that. Now can I tell you the good news? If you know the Lord, you actually are the solution for the, for the world's problems right now. He is wanting to work solution through every single person in this room for the world's problems. Verse 15, and as evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. See, here's here's the deal. The disciples were aware that there was a problem. They were aware that it was getting late. They were aware that the people needed food but they were disconnected from the solution. Here's one of the things I found. I found that even in my, especially in my own life, that, that my, mind, my mind usually runs like this. Natural problem, natural solution, right? Yeah, natural problem, natural solution. Natural problem, natural solution. The disciples give Jesus a perfectly fine solution. Send them away. And if you do it now, they'll be able to get some bread before sundown. Natural problem, natural solution. Here's the deal. Oftentimes, being the solution that Jesus would have every single person in the room be means having the kind of solution that is supernatural to natural problems. Why? Because it validates his kingdom. Here's the other thing I want you to realize about this little section right here. Any of you guys realize that the disciples are telling Jesus what to do right here? Yeah, this occurred to me the other day. Yeah. This is the disciples telling the Lord what to do. Okay, brace yourself. How many of you encounter a problem and you begin to pray? And your prayer is, God, do this and that about my problem. Here's what I'd like to suggest. I would, like to, I would like to suggest that because we're going to be people who move in demonstration and move in the impossible this year, that we need to alter our prayer life and we need to alter it so that when we encounter problems, not that, not that we don't pray. No, we need to pray. But we pray from a place of getting God's agenda about what the solution is and not instantly telling him what we would like him to do. 
Can I tell you something? I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that most people miss God's solution because they're telling them what they want rather than being quiet and listening and saying, God, what would you want? I'm convinced that even in my own life, in the last, in the last five months, I have missed incredible opportunities for kingdom breakthrough because I told the Lord what he ought to do rather than waiting for him to tell me what I need to do. See, here's the deal. Breakthrough is the response, is, is, is the result of responding to Jesus. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. That when Jesus tells the disciples to give them something to eat, he wasn't joking and he didn't flinch. He didn't go, you guys give them something to eat. Uh, I'm just kidding. That was silly. He wasn't joking. Here's the crazy thing. Apparently, Jesus thought that his disciples were more than well enough prepared to handle this situation at that moment in time. They'd been with him about a year, year and a half maybe. It's about a year till he gets crucified. And apparently Jesus thought they were more than capable of dealing with this situation in an appropriate manner that didn't include send them home and let them get something to eat. Isn't that crazy? Verse 19. And when he directed... And then he directed the people to sit down on the grass, that's Jesus, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Another key element in moving in the impossible. Add to your compassion thankfulness. See, here's the deal. Thankfulness is a weapon when it comes to moving in the impossible. This is what Bill Johnson says. Bill Johnson says most people encounter problems and when they encounter a problem, they focus all of their attention on the problem and none of the attention onto what God is already doing. See, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus is here. He's with his guys. He says, you guys feed them. They come back with, well, we've only got two fish and five loaves. Jesus says, great, God is working. See, here's the deal. Most, most of us in the room, myself included, we get in that situation and we think, we don't have enough food. We've only got two fish and five loaves. The key, the key to moving in the impossible is thankfulness for what God is already doing. And so we begin to recognize what God is already doing. We get the two loaves, we get the, we get the two fish, we get the five loaves, we bring them out and we go, God is already supplying what we need. And here's the deal. When you mix thankfulness when you begin to turn your heart and your attention on what God is already doing, thankfulness gets in the situation and it can cause lack to go to sufficiency. I mean, I've read this, this scripture over and over again. I can't find anywhere where Jesus, where Jesus gives the incantation or, or, or gives the hocus pocus. From what I could gather, he just takes the couple fish, he takes the five loaves, he breaks the bread, he, go, he lifts them up maybe like this because you know, he wants to show everybody what's up. Thanks, Lord, for the bread. No magic words. Begins to break the bread off, distribute it to his disciples who distribute it to the people. And then 5,000 men eat that day. There's probably 15,000, maybe 20,000 people who eat from five loaves of bread and two fish. And you say, what's the deal? There is no incantation. There's just thankfulness. And thankfulness is a powerful weapon 
when it comes to moving in the impossible. Here's the other thing I'd like to point out. With, when, it, when it comes to thankfulness and when it comes to putting our attention and, and to focusing our hearts on what God is already doing in the situation, it's, it's what Jesus is doing here. See, Jesus is the model. He's showing us how you, how you deal with situations. It's not about focusing on what we do have. It's about focusing on what we have. It's about focusing on what God is already doing. And that's not just a spiritual principle, but it's actually what the Lord himself did. And you might be thinking, well, isn't Jesus God? It's unfair. Of course he can do that. He's God, you know. And This is what Peter, this is how Peter describes Jesus in his ministry. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is a, this is a great scripture. It's one of my favorites because it's just so darn strange. Look at the first part of verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Can I tell you something? When Jesus healed the sick, when he moved in the impossible in any, any, any way whatsoever, I want to tell you something. He did it as a man. He didn't do it because he was God. He did it as a man who trusted God. He did it as an anointed man. See, here's the deal. The anointing is what gives us breakthrough. Jesus... Jesus Jesus didn't slide out of his mother's womb glowing. He came out slimy. And when Jesus encountered, when Jesus encountered problems, he, he didn't just put his finger on the problem and go, go away. And because he was God, it went away. No, he was a man who was anointed. Can I tell you something? If Jesus needed the anointing to accomplish his mission on the earth, which was to establish the kingdom of heaven. If he needed, you know, how much more do we? I mean, it's really good news. So you want to move in the impossible? We, we need to, one of the things we do need to cry out for is, God, give us a greater anointing on our life. Give me an anointing like Jesus had. God, let the oil of your presence fall on me. Those are great prayers. Now, all that Jesus did was based upon his anointing and not simply his status as God's son. And in that context, I want, I'd like to put it this way. Um, thankfulness is basic faith. When, when, you can, when, you can, when you can locate in the midst of opposition, when you, can, when you can locate what God is doing and when you can turn your heart to be thankful about what God is doing, regardless of what surrounds what God is doing, regardless with how dark or how bleak or how difficult the surroundings are. When we can locate what God is doing and train ourselves to be thankful about it, we're actually moving in basic faith. And sometimes people overcomplicate faith. I'm telling you, if you can be thankful for it, you're moving in faith. Faith and thankfulness, they just go together. You, you want to increase your faith for the impossible? Increase your thankfulness. Increase your awareness that God is present and that he's moving. Verse 20. They all ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I love that little phrase, they were all satisfied. 
If you've got your Bible, just underline that. That's just such a good word. They were all satisfied. See, here's the deal. In life, it's Jesus who satisfies, you know? In life, it's Jesus who satisfies. He satisfies broken bodies. He satisfies broken emotions. He satisfies cravings. He satisfies desires. He satisfies my hopes. Here's the deal. I've even begun beginning to experience this in a greater dynamic lately. He, he satisfies questions. Some people just have questions. And Jesus will satisfy questions. And, and here's the deal. It is Jesus who satisfies, and he, and he satisfies everything that a person can be or have or desire. Not only that, but he's the contact that every human desires and needs. And in light of that, in light of the fact that it is Jesus who satisfies, in light of the fact that it is, that it is contact with Jesus that, that I need and that you need and that, that people who are not in the room right now, in light of the fact that it's what they need, I am astounded by the fact that Jesus is committed to partnering to do the impossible. Consider the the passage we've been looking at. We're going on a camping trip. Sick people come, heal the sick people. Such a healing service breaks out, it runs long. Disciples come and they say, Lord, release them so they can go get something to eat. Jesus says, you feed them. They say, well, Lord, we've only got a couple fish, five loaves. He says, great, God is moving. He gives thanks for those. He begins to break the bread. And who does he hand the bread to? He hands the bread to the disciples. Who do the disciples hand the bread to? The people. See, here's the deal. This is mind-blowing for me. They ate and they were all satisfied. The the thing that has blown my mind this week is, is this one simple fact. It is that Jesus... He's satisfied. There is no one else in the world who can satisfy like the Lord satisfies. He's the contact that every single person in this room needs and every person in the world needs. Yet, he is, he is unbelievably committed to partnering with people to satisfy needs. It's his way. It's not just Jesus' way, but it's the Father's way as well. Consider this. Jesus is 100% God, and he is 100% human. And before Jesus was sent to the planet, God in heaven looks at the situation that people have arrived in, by their own choice, by the way. He, He looks at the situation that people have arrived in by their own choice, and God's solution is to put himself in a man to be the solution. See, there's something about the incarnation that prophesies God's intention even for your life and for my life. Can you see that? When the world needed a solution, God poured himself, not just into, that's kind of a bad image, but somehow mixed himself, 100% God, 100% man, to the planet to be the solution for people and to be the solution for the earth. There was a marriage between the spirit there was a marriage between the natural and, and bringing solution. And here we see it again in this, in this passage. When, 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 it, when push comes to shove, Jesus says, you guys feed them something. They said, we can't do it. 
And even, even at that moment of, of somewhat, a moment of failure, Jesus turns it, makes it into a teaching moment. He says, well, get me what you got, breaks the bread, hands it to disciples because he wants, he wants solution to come through disciples' hands. I think Matthew chapter 14 is a prophetic picture. He wants, he wants the impossible and he wants solution in disciples' hands. And this is a year where we learn to demonstrate and we learn to risk so that we can have solution in our hand. One more thing and we'll be done. After, after they had fed everyone and everyone had been satisfied, they pick up 12 basketfuls and if you go and you know read some commentaries, the commentaries will tell you that that Jesus was Jesus was in was in an Israeli territory. He was in Israel, and and so uh, there was sort of a prophetic picture to what it, what had just happened. And, and the prophetic picture is that that there's twelve basketfuls left over, and it's it's one for each tribe. And so, sort of the prophetic message is that you know God in the person of Jesus satisfies his his people Israel. You know, and that's true. There's, there, to me, it's, it's actually way more personal than that because, because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the people Israel who picked up those 12 basketfuls. It was the 12 disciples who picked up those 12 basketfuls. So if you can get this with me, you, you've been asked to do the impossible by the Lord. You've given him a response that didn't satisfy him. He takes what you have. He breaks it. He puts it in your hands. You've just spent, I don't know, how long would it take 12 guys to feed 5,000? How long would it take 12 guys to feed 15,000? You've, you've, just, you've just worked your bum off for three, four hours. I don't know how long this takes, okay? Distributing the grace of God to every single person. You're hot. You're sweaty. You're tired. Everyone else is eating. You, you are working it, okay? And then after it's all over and everyone's been satisfied, they round up all the broken pieces and and there's 12 basketfuls. And who picks up those 12 basketfuls? The guys who have been doing the work. And so I'm Thomas. And I've been distributing. I can't believe what's happening, but I've been doing it. And I pick up my basketful. I turn around and look at the Lord. What's the point? The point is this. That when you become a disciple who's committed to demonstrating the kingdom, when you come, become a disciple who's committed to the impossible, when you become a disciple who is willing to live by Jesus' agenda for the moment, when you're, when you're the kind of disciple who, 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 who is willing to, to lay down your agenda for someone else's problem, there's actually some really good news. At the end of the day, you'll have more than you started with. That means a lot to me, you know? Here's why, because there, there, there's, a, there's a lie that's propagated by the devil, and the lie goes something like this. If you start living your life for other people, you're never going to live your dreams. You're going to get stuck in a worn horse town serving ungrateful, backward, podunk people doing nothing. You're never going to do anything significant. I, I don't know. This is the voices that I have in my head. True confession time, Okay. And the lies, the lies go like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you start serving people. 
you're, you're, you're never going to make it out of here. You're, no, significant. You're, you're done. You're done for, pal. But what's the testimony of the Scripture? The testimony for the, of the Scripture for me and for everyone in this room today is if you lay your life down for others, there's a reward. And the reward is today. The reward isn't simply dying and going to heaven. There's a basket full for you in this life. Amen? Amen. Amen. I feel like the Lord wants to, to, to move this morning and to touch some people. That'd be all right. Amen. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do this morning? Look, I know this is the end of the meeting and we have a little, we have a, a liturgy that we go through, but to heck with the liturgy for a minute, okay? Everybody cool with hanging out here just for a second? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do this morning? Holy Spirit, we just invite you into the room. God, we don't want to pretend like you're somewhere else. Lord, we'd like to encounter you here. Father, we ask that you'd set the agenda, not just for this morning, but for our lives. But Father, we ask that you would release the agenda of heaven in the room right now. Come, Holy Spirit. If you're on the ministry team this morning, you can come on up. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now to come and to move in power. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. I feel like the Lord wants to touch people who are struggling with addictions this morning. I know it's a touchy subject, but I feel like there is grace and freedom and liberty here for people who are, who are bound with addiction. Um, we normally don't do this, but uh, I feel like there's just grace here for that this morning. If you, if you're, if you, if you are currently struggling with addiction, uh, anything from super serious addictions uh, right down to super serious addictions like the one I have with Coca-Cola, if, if, if that's you and you know it this morning, uh, can you just put your hand up? If you know you've you got an addiction and you, you want to see the Lord break it off of you this morning. We got, yeah. I feel like the Lord wants to break addictions. I feel like he wants to break all kinds of addictions this morning. All right. Some of you guys in the room are becoming uncomfortable because I'm not doing anything. It's okay, I'm not uncomfortable. So you don't have to be uncomfortable for me too. I also feel like there are people here in this room, I feel like there are two specific people, there may be more, but I feel like there are two ladies who are, who are drowning um, and they are drowning from disappointment and discouragement and despair and depression. All those heavy Ds. I just saw two ladies with heavy Ds tied around their neck, and I, I feel like the Lord wants to release freedom and joy over your life this morning. 
You don't have to put your hand up. I, but, I, but if that's you this morning, I want you to come forward. I feel like there are two ladies in particular, and the Lord wants to cut off the heavy Ds. You got something? Yeah. Great. And I feel, I feel like there's, um, there's a grace and revelation to experience the Father's love this morning. And um, especially Eddie, um, I feel like the Lord highlighted you to me. And um, I really feel like um, from today you're going to go deeper and deeper into the Father's love. Um, I got a word for uh, neck pain. So if you have any type of neck pain. And then I also... Hang on, hang on. Anybody in here dealing with some neck pain? That's me, because I woke up with a jacked up neck this morning. I was telling the guys <laughs> back here. I was like, Let's pray for it. Yeah, definitely, huh? And then I also, um, you may not want to raise your hand for this, but any sort of like skin condition, um, I kind of feel like it's a rash of some kind, so mm. I'd love to pray for that. Stephanie? Um, I don't know your name, but you're sitting back there next to Josh in the gray sweatshirt. I just really saw the Lord highlight you and just say that he's bringing new joy into your life. Yeah, come on. Adam, <clears throat> I have a small sermon, practically. Yeah. I think the well, Lord gave me. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's don't do the sermon, but if you've got some words for some people here, we'll do that. Okay. okay. I, don't have, I, I don't have any specific words. All right, cool. All right. Thanks. Um, yeah, if... Um, why don't, we, why don't we just have the church stand up? I'm going to pray and be, we're going to release some people. There's, there's real grace here for, for brokenness. Just, just, there's grace here for disappointment and brokenness. I know there, there's at least a couple of ladies who, who have had a heavy weight of four Ds tied around your neck. I know the Lord wants to break it off for you this morning. Also, people who are dealing with addictions. And just the other words that the guys had. So if, uh, if that's you this morning, after I pray, I want you to come forward and I want you to get some prayer, okay? Because this is a morning to be set free. So why don't we just have everybody in the room, just put your hand on your heart, okay? Father, I ask that you would anoint us all with the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would, that you would lead us into paths of the impossible. God, I ask that you would baptize us with new compassion. Father, I ask that, that, just that the mindset of this world that says, I live life for my own agenda all the time, God, I ask that you would break that off of us today, this week. God, I ask that, that we would be a church that moves in greater realms of impossible. God, I ask that we would be a people who are willing to be inconvenienced for breakthrough. And Father, I ask that you would allow us to do it with joy. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus, who we just, we're, we're bonkers about that guy. Amen. Amen. If any of the words were for you this morning, come on up. We want to minister to you. Amen. Peace.